The Production Expert Podcast with Russ Hughes and Julian Rogers. Well, good evening and welcome to Production Expert Podcast number 409. It's March 2nd, 2020. I'm Russ Hughes. I'm Julian Rogers. And I'm Sarah Carter. We'll be pleased to tell you that the... uh, uh, the digger outside my house has stopped just before uh, we started recording. Julian had a an equal problem, which I think was was a power saw or something going outside. You Someone's know? doing a lot of drilling of something not very far away, so you know we can yeah. we can enjoy that together. Do you have a fracking site right by your house or something? Then? <laughs> no drilling in your in your vicinity today, no, Sarah. I'm, no, I was about to say how how glor- gloriously quiet my house is at the moment which um, that's pretty funny when you think about where me and russ live compared to where you are and you know who should have the quieter place and it's yeah it's the wrong way around. i'm I'm on the coast in ireland and you're you're on the coast in in, in cornwall and where are you sarah basingstoke oh yeah in basingstoke because i always think you're up north somewhere (laughs) yeah up up north no i'm down (laughs) south in that basingstoke and before we came on the air we were just talking about what's that stuff called again julian where we already talk it's either ASMR or AMSR. It's or, not ADSR, is it? It's, it's, yeah. it's some letters yeah. in, a, in a specific Anyway, uh, let us know what you think of that. We've been talking about it. It's where people talk very quietly into what seems like highly sibilant condenser mics, and then it seems to have a strange reaction on some people. It, it calms them and does other things. There's nothing sexual about it. It kind of has to have a calming influence on your on your soul. But uh, this, this is. But perhaps you've heard it and thought it's nuts, or heard it and uh, were transformed into a place of quiet meditation. Uh, let us know. If you'd you, rather let us know to... if you want to do. We, do, we want us to do an entire podcast like that. <laughs> Just forty minutes of us rustling crisp packets it might be more interesting <laughs> than what we actually talk about. Yeah, yeah. Talking about folding towels really, really closely. <laughs> Soft. Stop it! It's creepy. <laughs> it's yeah. creepy. <laughs> yeah, we just put just put your. If it might, we, we will bring it up in a minute. We could we can put your plug in, Julian, that you've got competition for this month all over it and ruin it, couldn't you? You could take all the sibilancy side out of it. And stuff. That's true, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Soothe is it called? What's that? What? Anyway, yeah, yeah. we'll Gulfos, get there in a minute. Gulfos, not soothe. That's, Gulfos. that's another one. Uh, anyway, uh, deals, deals. Uh, they got got some great deals from Nugent Audio, Sound Particles, Editors, Keys, Focusrite, RSPE, and Avid on our deals page. Check them out in the podcast notes. Let's get on to some talking points. These are sponsored by our friends at Arturia. Hello, experts and listeners. Pro Tools Expert Talking Points is brought to you with the support of Arturia. Arturia has a wide selection of software effects, including three compressors, three filters, three preamps and three delays you'll actually use. The latest release, three delays you'll actually use, includes Delay Tape 201, Delay Memory Brigade and the unique and experimental Delay Eternity. A bundle of selected effects called the AudioFuse Creative Suite is included with all AudioFuse audio interfaces. Follow the link in the podcast article or visit arturia.com to find out more on the effects you'll actually use. Talking point one, uh, we we mentioned this week on the uh, on the blog file pass, uh, and uh, there's a few out there now. There's Bounce Boss, File Pass, Frame.io. I use because I do a lot of video work. Uh, how do we share our work for approvals and get feedback remotely? Are we all, are some of us still doing it old school with the uh, Dropboxes and stuff, and then? 
fingers crossed we get paid and we get the revisions in less than 30 emails. Because uh, one of my pet hates, I'll tell you this for free now, when I'm doing a project for a corporate organization that you, I put, I'll talk about what I use in a bit, but it doesn't matter what I use. They won't talk to each other before they send me the revisions. So I'll get revision one, then halfway through revision one, I've got somebody else's opinion on how it, the revision should be. And that happens at some t- times, 10 times while I'm still trying to get through revision one because they're not all talking to each other. So I sort of spell it out quite strongly now and say, before you send me any revisions, can you make sure you've all at least talked to each other? <laughs> because you end up undoing and redoing and undoing and redoing. You can do it. Anyway, uh, Sarah, how do you do, uh, how do you share your work with punters? Yeah, I guess I'm kind of old school, I suppose. Um, uh, what Tape. I- <laughs> you send it in a jiffy bag. Um, I I just send um, a link using email. Um, I, what uh, what I generally do is I'll finish a mix and upload it to my uh, file sharing um, software cloud thing and collect a download link and pop that in an email and send it off to the client. Um, what I do do though is have. Uh, like email templates that I use so I don't have to keep typing out the same thing for every client because that first email is pretty much the same every time I send it out apart from, you know, the song name and and the client name. So so I do have pre-prepared templates that I have in my um, email client. Um, And then, uh, yeah, then I just um, sit and wait for a reply um, but what, where things kind of, where I do things differently, I think is, um, I also use a project management tool. So when the reply comes back, I copy and paste each of the, uh, revision points into my project management, project management tool as a task, um, that is within, um, a project, uh, for that particular, um, mixed job or mastering job, whichever I'm doing at the time. Um, and then I will slowly work my way through and and check them off as I do them. Um, and going back to what you just said, Russ, about um, having to deal with uh, revisions coming in from different people. Well, it could be a band. It could be five people in a band, exactly. for example. Yeah, exactly that. I always ask that it, the revisions come through just one person. Um, and that's the person I talk to throughout the whole project. I don't talk to the, any of the other people. I mean, I, I will, obviously, if they want to talk about something specifically. But when it comes to the sort of um, nuts and bolts of the project and uh, and the revisions, then it's best if it's just one person. And that they've all compiled, they've compiled a list together that they've all agreed upon before they send it to me. Um, and then I also ask that they uh, put that, the, the revisions into some sort of order, so in typically in instrumentation order, so the, all the drum notes together, all the bass notes together, you know, that kind of thing. So the drummer wants the drums louder, the bassist wants the bass louder, the guitarist wants the guitars louder, and the... Uh, so I, I just turn the master going. fader up, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the, well, that, that hopefully... I saw, yeah, I, that saw get- those, I saw one of those recently. I saw somebody that said, these are the revision notes I've got from my client. And, it, and, and as you went down, it was... I, I said, in summary, everybody wants everything louder. What were you going to say, Sarah? Yeah, I, um, I, I was just going to say that. Um, yeah, that that's that's basically it. That they, you know, that 
when everything's laid out in some sort of um, easy order like that in, in, in instrumentation, then um, it's just dead easy to copy and paste it into my into my task manager. And then the great thing about um, my doing it that way for me is that I can then print that off. Once I've completed it, I can print it off, although I don't print it onto paper, I print it as a PDF. And then I can send that as an attachment with the uh, the next email, which has the revised mix in it, so that they can see exactly what I've done. So they can see that I've done what they've asked me to do. Um, and so then they're in no doubt, you know, when they're listening to the, the you know, Rev 1, that, you know, yes, she did turn the bass up 1 dB. Yes, she did, you know, um, address the, uh, the the vocals in the last chorus. Even though they, they might be listening to it and think, has she done anything? But at least they can go back to that document. I was going to say, haven't you ever been tempted just to send them the PDF? <laughs> And the same version again. <laughs> that would be interesting, wouldn't it? It would be interesting. Would anyone be wise enough to null it against the previous version and see? Yeah, but the trick is, Judy, you just you just do something to make sure it wouldn't null. <laughs> but that's so sneaky. I mean, that would. Yeah. Um, so what I want to know is, um, you mentioned you mentioned version numbers, Sarah. So what do you mm. do about versioning? Do you just keep going and it's just version one, etc., until you get to you know, if you get to double figures, it's going badly? Or yeah, do you I... ever do anything to signify? stages of a project or what's happened in the file name yeah no i i I tend to stick i started off with version one version two version three and then i picked up final yeah no no final you should never the golden rule a school a schoolboy error in this industry is to call anything final ever yeah Yeah, i i I call it approved when a client is yeah whenever when i've got the one that the client says he's happy with i call it approved which has a two-stage process in mental, mentally. One, it means it's the final in my head and in their head. And then if they come back afterwards, they say, well, you approved it. Yeah. yeah. It is a much better word. And what's more, just one that doesn't kind of like mark you out as being some kind of massive sucker for even thinking that final ever means final. So, yeah. Yeah, no such thing as final. <laughs> yeah, so I, I went from the, you know, tried and tested version one, version two idea into... Um, one that I picked up from Pure Mix from Fab Dupont, who he actually uses 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, and the the version number actually changes when something significant changes in the mix, whether it's a, a radio edit or um, the arrangement is changed or it's a different singer or something. Oh, that's a good idea. So, so then it will go to 2.1, 2.2, 2.3. So I tried that for a while. Um, I'm kind then, of reluctant about ever using a point in a file name, though, because yeah. it can cause all sorts of nonsense. So yeah. mm. maybe dash one might, might yeah. be where I'm going for. But, yeah. <laughs> I inherited Sorry, from a post house I worked in where we used to put the six-digit data as the part of the file name as well. I know it's in the file name, but we used to say uh, for uh, for approval. So often I'll have stuff that says for approval, and then the, then it'll say 0203 2020. Uh, and then that, and then there'll be, there'll be another date. Then when I'm when I'm looking for a folder, I can very quickly identify what versions are which. Mm. If that makes sense, I know version seven is bigger than version six, but for some reason, the date thing can help as well. Especially when you're doing it, especially when you're working in video, and there's lots of iterations. Well, Sarah, I had a question for you. What's stopping them steal your work before they've paid you? I get paid up front. Okay, um, that's that's a way to stop them stealing the work before yeah. they've paid you. 
and it also takes the the you know takes I can send full fat files you know I can sell send um the the wave file um you know in in the full format I don't have to do any I don't have to only send an mp3 um or do some sort of watermarking or anything like that I um I I asked to be paid up front so I'll initially ask for a deposit so that um they uh, get a spot in my calendar um and then uh, before I start the project um I'll send out another invoice to be paid up front and, and how do you know how much to build them let's say because if you're in revision 76 of a single mix mm. that really isn't a, a site that really isn't a uh yeah, no, I, I, I you have, do you have a certain amount of revisions before they have to start paying you more again? Yeah, I uh, I set project prices. I I don't bill by the hour or anything like that or by the day. Um I bill by project. Yeah. And uh for mixing, um I have a limit of 3 revisions. And then if we start to go over that, then we start talking about hours. This reminds me of uh, many years ago, uh, sort of like kind of mid nineties. I was working in a, in a back in the day, yeah. And I was, I was working in a, in an analog studio based around a you know reel to reel machine and, a, and an actual mixing console and stuff. And um, something that we used to always get, and something I was this wasn't this wasn't at the top end of the industry in those days. This was very much servicing the uh, the, the local scene. And uh, we'd get people coming in, and uh, they'd, they'd, if we're if we're lucky, they'd you know really splurge and do a, a a day for tracking and a day for mixing, or a day and a half for tracking and half a day for mixing, which is usually what it ended up being. But there's that thing about the artist mix: the the the, the band always wants to take away a copy so they can listen and um, play at their mom. You know, yeah, and, and have a yeah. listen before they come back, which is perfectly legitimate. And it always used to make me slightly twitchy, especially with some people have just kind of like, are you even going to come back tomorrow? Um, mm. And uh, in those days, it was always a cassette copy. You know, you're mastering yeah. that, and it was a cassette copy that went away, and you're surprised how many people were perfectly happy to take away that cassette copy and never come back. It wasn't huge numbers, <laughs> but it did happen occasionally. And it got into the whole thing about kind of, thinking about even in those days kind of watermarking or doing something or wrecking the sound in some way so that people, you know, just kind of like, you know, muting it for half a second, just going into the chorus to make sure that they couldn't use that copy or something, which isn't a great thing to do. And I don't think I ever actually did, but certainly spoke about doing. Um, on some of these online sharing things, there are there are kind of uh, there's you can you can stream but you can restrict downloads i'm not sure how much difference that actually makes if you're worried about somebody paying you if you're streaming a lossless wav then you don't have to be a genius to be able to get hold of that but um mm-hmm. i'm just thinking audio about the- hijack would do that yeah because uh, so i use i i used to do the old way of sending them out dropbox and stuff but i used frame io because i do a lot of video work and never looked back for the simple reason, it's not even about being paid. It's not even about it, it, what it's mostly about, about is about revisions in terms of you get, I get time coded revisions across a file. And what I can do is the client goes through, pauses where he wants to change and writes the notes. And that's then logged at that point in the track or that point in the video. And then I can download that list straight off frame IO. And if I'm using final cut, I can import that list as a time, as markers along the timeline for all the edits that I've got to make, all the changes, uh, which is uh, really good. So I've never looked back. It's about, I think it cost me 30 quid a month to use it, but I I think it's brilliant. And, and clients love it. 
I've uh, certainly they... used it before. And um, yeah. I mean, my, th- my thing with, this is specifically about um, uh, video work, but I mean, that's not, you know, that's not not relevant to, uh, to the audience. Is, um, what I've got into doing is definitely trying to, um, trying to send kind of like content-only approval copies to the client to say, look, here's what's in it. Are you happy with that? Before I do all of the polishing, all of the making it look nice and, you know, sorting out all the edits and making it flow like a finished piece of work, here's what you're getting. Is it okay? Because that's usually what, in my experience, revisions for that kind of thing are about, is about, oh, should we say this, should we say that? And don't, if you're going through extra stages to output a finished video each time you do uh, do it for revision, that's that's a waste of time. It's, put needless duplication as long as they understand that it's uh, it's a content only edit um I'm well, what i got tired of audio. is people's what i got tired of is people sending me emails going oh the guitar's slightly weird just before the first chorus and you didn't know what they meant do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. or or there's i think there's a pitchy note halfway through the second verse and you think well which one <laughs> yeah be specific <laughs> Yeah, no, no, actually, that's the note that's in tune in the second verse. The rest of it's out of tune. That's why it sounds odd. Uh, uh, which, le- which leads us to, I don't, how are, I don't know about you, but, but this kind of taking it slightly off, off piste a bit here, but how uh, clear are you with, do you give people advice when you're doing stuff, Sarah? So if, if, if stuff, let's say, is pitchy or the drummer's out of time and stuff, is it like, well, I'm mixing the track now, there's not much they could do about it anyway? Or do you ever get to a point where you think, well, I'm, I'm trying to raise the dead here mm. at mix level? Do you ever do you ever get to that situation in a mix? I, again, with the emails that I've um, painstakingly typed up and got all prepped, ready for projects, new projects, in those emails, I've got it all detailed, what I do and don't do in my service. And as I'm a, a mixing engineer slash mastering engineer, um, I don't do any work that I consider to be production work. Which so you wouldn't be- edit? You wouldn't edit before a mix? No, no. And I, I do state that in in my email so that everybody's everybody knows that there's no kind of um, shock that oh I thought you know there's no assumptions that I'm going to edit and tune a vocal, for example. But having said that, um, I will tune the vocal if if it's re- a real howler. Um, and if it's just a note here or there, then I'll do it. That's no big deal. But if it turns You're into... You're going to spend a day going through meticulously yeah, trying to fix it all. Yeah, then I go back to the client and sort of say, look, do you realise that the vocal performance could be a bit better if, you know, there was some tuning done to it? Um, and... Uh, Generally, uh, I get a real positive response from that and they're happy to go away and do it. Or um, usually, though, they'll ask me how much I will charge to do it. So, um, Because a lot of, a lot of I've worked with quite a lot of people who are mixing guys and they often have an assistant in the room that before they even touch the mix, the assistant will clean it all up, go through every mm-hmm. track, clean clean all the, do like, make sure all the edits haven't got clicks in them and stuff, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh and do a lot of housekeeping before they even start to audit, mm. start to do the actual mixing part of that. But you don't do that. I I do. I don't actually do the edits, but I will listen through all the files to make sure that there's no there's no clicks, that the edits are good, um, that the the vocal performance is is good enough, um, and then go back to the client and say, 
you know, if there are any problems, go back and detail what, what they are and what I think they could do to make them better. So I do give advice because um, at the end of the day, you know, if I mix a track that's badly edited and not tuned, it's just going to reflect on me. Yeah. So um, it's in my best interest to have the best files to work with, really. What a drummer friend of mine used to refer to as a paper bag gig, meaning that one of those gigs, he was talking about live gigs, there, where um, he'd, he'd do it, but he'd want wear a paper bag with eye holes torn in it so nobody knew it was him. He didn't want to <laughs> take my name off this thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, but but it but it is interesting. There are other times when I've walked. I remember a few years ago, I had this female singer songwriter, and three days into the whole gig, I thought, no, this is never going to work, ever going to work. And I had to say, I, had, I said, I had to say this uh, this artist that I was coming off the project uh, that I couldn't uh, that I couldn't I couldn't finish it for them because it was just they were just terrible to be blunt. They were just awful. And uh, <laughs> how did you say that? How did you actually? How no, I didn't say. I didn't say that. How do you communicate that sort of? I remember we were two days into it, into tracking, and I thought the only way we're going to make this vocal even remotely sound reasonable is to track like twenty vocals and make it sound choral, oh. and hopefully they'd all detune together to make at least some kind of reasonable sound. But uh, even that didn't work. Average yeah. tuning. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how a, that's how a choir sounds like it does, doesn't it? Because no one's perfectly in tune. Mm. Uh, no, there was lots of tears. Uh, and uh, this was years ago, some sing- singer-songwriter, and I, no, I just had to say, listen, mm. I just can't do it. Uh, it's not going to work, and uh, that's it. And I've, I've been sent loads of, so I, when I mix often, I get sent tracks, and I just can, uh, the trouble is there's the producer in me, and I start hearing stuff that should be there. Mm. And, and Vance Powell always used to make me laugh. Uh, he used to have an interview on the Exponential Audio site before it was taken down after Isotope took it over. And I remember him saying to me, he said, I get tracks with 20 guitars on. And he thinks, and he said, just pick two guitars. <laughs> he said, he said, one of my favourite mixed tricks is muting stuff. And he would mute entire tracks. Mm. And, the, and, the, and, the, and the, the person would never know because it would just had, it would just like tons and tons and tons of stuff that shouldn't be there. Mm. Uh, like, like four acoustic guitars. How many acoustic guitars do you need? Especially when it's the three-piece band. Uh, We've just so, not been able to make a decision. No, really. Yeah, that's actually his quote was "make some f- decisions." <laughs> that's the quote from that interview. Yeah, yeah, grow some. Jules, what do you do about about revisions and stuff like that? Sharing stuff is is kind of more. It's 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 about indemnifying yourself from the kind of like open ended time commitments. Really, the the best thing that I've developed recently is the thing that I said about about um doing content shares for i mean i'm talking about video stuff here really yeah. because that's much more much yeah. more in line with w- what i'm doing what at you're the doing moment. there yeah um yeah. and that really works for me just because any even just a little cursory tidy up of stuff takes time if you're doing it more than once and if you're doing it kind of you know three four times for that many revisions you're making a you're making a a, a video four times whereas you could just make it once but actually just kind of go hey that's here's the words here's the pictures is that okay are you happy to proceed and get you know approval doesn't have to happen all at once in one final splurge of okay everything's fine you can talk to people along the way and that's the point of these tools isn't it really it's just that it doesn't have to be you know, you know pop pop media in bag deliver to person wait for wait for them to respond it's not as kind of uh, um, final as that 
in in any way. Um, no, I mean that's that's kind of, that's my main thing really is just actually turning feedback and approval and stuff into a conversation rather than um, a summary. This, this I'm I'm going because we've been I've been, you've, I've been on the end of calls with you, kind of losing your rag because a client keeps just driving you crazy with revision, revision, revision. Oh, I can't mention any names. I know who you mean. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. moving yeah. on, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you kind of nailed them down a bit, didn't you, before you even started? It's, it just have to be – you have to be kind of risk-averse. One time when being risk-averse is very, very worthwhile is to just get this stuff out of the way in the beginning. There's, this reminds me of some teaching jargon, which is something I, I try to avoid because, I mean, apart from the fact everyone makes fun of me for kind of uh, um, turning into some kind of teaching-related anecdote, almost everything I do. But there are two – going briefly into – dull teacher technical language. There's two kinds of feedback, summative and formative. And it's just some language to describe that thing about you can give as you're going along feedback to somebody about how something's going, and then you can give them the feedback at the end when it's finished. And they, they're they different from each other, and you can do both. And that's really what I'm saying is, in you know, the the at the end of the process, feedback in this kind of relationship is just saying approved. I mean, that's it. There's nothing more to say. But along the way, there's lots of things that you can say. And, and to keep that in mind and to base your working patterns around that, it can't be a bad thing because ultimately it's just about getting the job done more quickly. And the difference between a project that's fun and one that isn't usually is about how quickly it's completed. And I don't mean rushing through it. I just mean yeah, you know, how many times you have to go around. Everyone hates doing stuff more than once. first time you do something, it's brilliant. And the pleasure decreases each repetition, you know what I mean? It's it's like press-ups or something, sit-ups, I don't know. Yeah, I was just going to say that when you're talking about those revisions or clients where it just turns into nightmare revision land. Project tennis, yeah. Yeah, and I when I think back to the those instances that have happened to me um, I, and, thought, and thought back through the whole process, I've always i've realized that i've had an inkling that that was going to happen right at the start yeah and wished i hadn't taken the job on yeah and and i've said to myself oh i should have let that one go i knew i knew it was going to go wrong i should have let it go and i've since learned to kind of listen to my instincts a bit better now yeah and look for these signs um, in the in the emails, in the language they use, in the, in the questions, you know, if they're asking you a gazillion questions, then you you know, I don't know. You just kind of, particularly if they're quite kind of um, rudimentary questions or just crazy on some level, you know. <laughs> I know what you mean. Uh, you just go, what really? You you can split this up into kind of like a sort of you know a window of four panes, really. And I mean, at the at the bottom left, you've got. Bad material, bad client, and no one's going to touch that. And then you've got the kind of the unicorn project, which is great material, great client, which is top right. But then you've mm. got the other two on the other diagonal, which are a bit more difficult, where you've either got uh, – um, I mean, the what, the really tricky one is when you've got somebody who you think is going to be difficult to work with, but the material is great, and you want to do it because it's strong material, but you think, well, this could be hard work. And that's that's the one that's really going to get you kind of like scratching your head, really. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then kind of like the really nice person whose material is perhaps a little bit weak. Yeah. So yeah, yeah they're the difficult ones. <laughs> can I say what can help? You could because you do the fixed rate deals, Sarah. I yeah. do the opposite. Every time I work on a client project, I'm billing because I'm using a timer. Mm. 
So if 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 a client wants to string, it's it's actually funny. I nearly posted this on Facebook the other day. If a client wants to keep changing things because they're paying me, knock yourselves out. If you want to do it and redo it and undo it and redo it and undo it and redo it, as long as you're paying me, I'll do that all day every day. I've got. I used to get really, and I had a I had a a member of this a a member of this team uh, used to get really really wound up about stuff and say, oh, they want to do this with the song or they want to do this with the video, and I, I I think it's a bad idea, and I'd say to him. It's not your problem. It's their idea. It, mm. it, it, it's it, and it sounds awfully mercenary. And you try sometimes. I you try and kind of care too much. I think sometimes about mm. projects. You kind of make them personal. You make them your project when they're not. You're just doing a job for somebody. Mm. And if somebody thinks that 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 they should have a singing chicken on the chorus, then <laughs> let them do it. It because as long as they're paying for it, the the, the customer is king at that point. Mm. And because I have. My timer is running when I change things. As long as it's not, I don't charge clients for my mistakes, but I charge them for changing their mind. Yeah, and it's it's amazing how much that focuses their mind. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and I often got. I'm just looking at some comments from a project today, and I, and I, it was interesting. It said, uh, so the comments start. So there's a comment here today saying maybe we could, and maybe a fade out here. And maybe, so the word maybe is appearing a lot in later revisions, which means I don't really care anymore. The client, the client gets to a point where they just kind of, do you know what I mean? They kind of care less about it. Is it not just that they've, they've lost perspective? And no, they've gained perspective, I think. They've yeah. realised this isn't life and death. There's something, <laughs> there's an important point to be made in here, actually. What, what you're saying there reminds me of something that um, when we have meetings and we do them remotely and because of that we don't have line of sight kind of with each other, and sometimes you'll go, George, are you there? And what I'm doing is I'm being quiet because it's a meeting. And the more you say at a meeting, the longer it goes on for. Say something <laughs> if it's if it's useful or relevant. But otherwise, shut up. You're not having a chat. Yeah, well, I, find that me- I find that short meetings are always more effective than yeah, long Yeah, absolutely. Ones. Well, actually, all client feedback is, is it's just a meeting, you know. And, mm. and sometimes you do get people saying stuff because they feel like they should say something. But in that case, the thing to say is, yeah, it's great, you know. And there's nothing mm. wrong with that. It's not kind of like... Um, uh, it, it's it's not taking away from what's already there by not volunteering something new or having an opinion. It's 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 absolutely fine. But yeah, quite useful for me. I think think of it. It's it, it ultimately it's a meeting. It's just a funny written down meeting that sometimes works over email. Yeah, mm. but, but my my top tip we took we started on the technology like Firepass, Frame.io, Bounce Boss, and those. But my top tip would be if clients, as long as they're paying for it, just don't take. Don't get too emotional about about things that you think aren't good or right, unless it's awful and, and, and wrong. Generally, if it, most of this is a matter of opinion, isn't it? It's like the, if the guitarist doesn't think the guitar's high enough, that's just an opinion because there's no such thing as a perfect mix in terms of uh, objectivity. Mm. They're just, it's just taste and opinion. So don't, don't, I personally don't get too, too, too wound up by these people anymore doing this stuff. Anyway, uh, Competitions, Julian. Yeah, we've got two new competitions started uh, started in March. Uh, we have uh, one for one of three copies of Sound Theory's Gulfos, which is it's this amazing intelligent equaliser, which I looked at quite closely when I I, I did um like an on test piece about, and it's I have no idea how it works. I was going to say this is the plugin you can't explain. I have which no is, idea. Literally is, no which idea. Is rare, but. 
I do know it works, and it's really good for that kind of real difficult EQ stuff that kind of, you know, do you ever get those things? Where, uh, my favourite example with this is on pianos, actually, where yeah, pianos can be piano really, really difficult hard. because if they're not yeah. working, you end up listening really closely to a piano, piano and just going, well, pianos just sound weird. What the hell? You know, and it's all mm. about the mid-range and the diff- and it's so rich and harmonically, uh, just put this on it, it makes it all great. Unless it doesn't, actually. It's one of those things that either works or it doesn't, but when it works, it is really good. So mm. anyway, if you want one of those, uh, apply for the um, uh, for the competition. Join the enter. That's the word I'm looking for. The competition, because uh, giving three of them away. The other one is sound particles, which is a thing that Mike's spoken about before. They're giving away a uh, pro perpetual bundle. Pro perpetual bundle. Yeah, yeah, it's easy for me to say. Uh, including pro perpetual. <laughs> stop it. Uh, including Doppler and air plugins. Basically, it's it's like nearly a thousand dollars worth of software, and it's this really clever <laughs> stuff that we've all seen particle systems where anyone who's ever seen the Mummy, you know, when they've got these kind of like seas of sandstorms and scarab beetles and stuff, and there's millions of things all doing stuff in kind of a training swarm. those beetles to do that must have been bloody hard. Well, Negotiating the contracts, they've all got yeah. brutal agents. Those scarab beetles, and yeah, they have. <laughs> anyway. They have. Um, so that's what that's well, the what extras in Lord of the Rings. Are. But this does audio an audio version. It does of that, sound it? version, so you can make lots and lots of little noises and control the behaviour of all of these little sounds. So rather than having to edit a bazillion lanes of automation, you can just you know do it easier. So yeah, that's some um, kind of thing. I certainly haven't got. So is it like a car clever. going down the street? Then you can have a hundred cars going down the street. Is that how it works? I it? would think that would be something it could do. Um, I, I was thinking. Um, basically, it's. If and if anyone remembers, I don't think they make it anymore. Do they still make smoke? That um, software, yeah, smoke and flame. That was uh, that was part of Autodesk, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, it's that, but for audio, which is just kind of like wow. Uh, so anyway, that's those two competitions, and yeah, they're running for for March. So yeah, um, enter and um, maybe win a thing. But that 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 Goldfoss thing, I've watched a few videos, and a few people told me about it. It sounds. So is it using artificial intelligence, Julian? Is it, is no, it, is it, no. Hang on, no. This is this is tricky. I mean, th- there's some physicist kind of mathsy guy behind it who um, was mathsy using. Guy. Yes, I know. <laughs> uh, who was using you something that was to do with quantum with theory, so he's saying, and, and some kind of maths tool that was. What it isn't is it's not psychometric. So it's not like I mean there are lots of perceptual processes like kind of like lossy lossy compression encoding, for example, where it looks at stuff and it decides what's going to mask other things and throws away things that you won't hear because they're being like, you know, perceptually masked by other sounds. That's all born out of research and getting test listeners and getting them to listen to stuff and, you know, gathering data and drawing broad conclusions that apply to the population. That's what this doesn't do. But it's got a perceptual model that's somehow, and this is the bit that I don't really understand, uh, but it's not based on asking people questions, um, but it seems to work in a way that makes audio easier to understand. So, what, so it's got two question. controls, and basically you can turn down the things that are I've seen it, it hard yeah. to control or yeah. turn up the things that need help. Yeah, here's a question, though. If you bounced a track out, the same track twice, using this... Would you get the same results both times? Would it, would it null? That I don't know. And it's an interesting question. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
That's why I asked it. Uh, no, no, no. It's, basically, it's really clever. And, and and the thing about it is, and I mean, we can get a bit inured to all this stuff about, yeah, plugins, schmuggins, you know, it's all been done, hasn't it? No, it hasn't. You get things that now, come along is, every so often. This actually piqued my attention of yeah. all the things that I don't know I of anything really else get, that quite does this. I really get excited about stuff like this anymore and actually saw this and thought, actually, this is really cool. Yeah. The thing works. about it I is... Lo- I love stuff that makes things easy. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And if mm. you could stick this on and boom. The thing about days. this from my experience is that it works better on some stuff than on others. And you and it's that's what's kind of slightly mysterious about it is I tried it on trying to get examples together and some stuff it was like nah, it's okay and other stuff it really shone and I couldn't really see why it worked on some things and not on others. Is it similar? Does it work in a similar fashion to Soothe? I haven't or... used Soothe, so I this can't is that's really the DS, isn't it? Yeah, well, yes. Um, it's um, it hunts out resonant frequencies. It it can identify resonant frequencies and pull them out in a dynamic kind it, it of way. It like feels a kind of ballpark EQ. to that, but I, I mean, I, no, I don't think it works like it. Does it do a similar mm. job? Probably, but I haven't used Soothe, so I can't Yeah, because really somebody said to me it. today that it's, it's really good as a de-esser. Golf mm. is really yeah. good as a de-esser. And de-essing is one of those things that, I mean, that de-essing is somewhere madness lies. You know, if you're really focusing in on <laughs> the S's of, that someone's making, then it's, it's so so quick for you to completely lose perspective, and you just all you can hear is S's. It's you know, it's there's a few annoying artifacts like that that you get that just drive you nuts. If you're really focusing on mechanical noises that acoustic instruments make, they can drive you up the wall as well because you start to hear them everywhere, and you can't get rid of them all because then you end up with some weird thing that doesn't sound like the instrument, and it's like that with Essing. And this, it just yeah, some stuff. It really sorted out. There's a, there's a girl, Jess, who I did some stuff with on the blog a couple of years ago. She's got the weirdest polyphonic S. And it's something to do with just kind of like how her teeth are or something. But she's got a normal kind of 6, 7K normal S. And she's also got this 10K whistle that comes out occasionally. And uh, yeah, yeah, on the stuff that we're working on, she used quite a cheap condenser. It was her own mic. It was, it was quite a cheap sort of, you know, 200-pound mic. And it really wasn't the right mic for her for her voice at all. And I was chasing around the houses on that like you wouldn't believe. And you end up losing it. You end up losing your mind trying to chase that stuff because, you know, it's in there and you can't get rid of it. But if you're paying attention to it, it's the difference between hearing and listening, you know. Anyway, that was just in the prize draw. That, that wasn't even <laughs> well, a talking point. that went point. on, didn't it? <laughs> that, went on, that, that went on more than we expected. So but you anyway, right, I was a question. Pro Tools Expert Podcast is created using Source Connect Now from Source Elements. Register now for your free account at now.source-elements.com. If you've ever tried to do interviews over the internet with apps like Skype, you'll know how hit and miss the audio quality and connection can be. And even on a good day, it isn't really good enough for a long-form interview. We now use Source Connect Now, which offers ISDN equivalent quality audio using a Chrome browser, no software to install, to get a free account, follow the link in the podcast notes. Anyway, let's move on to Find of the Week. These are sponsored by our friends at RSPE Audio Solutions. RSPE Audio carry nearly every great microphone you can think of, from budget to boutique. They have microphones from Sennheiser, Neumann, Earthworks, Shaw, Loughton, Peluso, AKG, Blue, Townsend Labs, Antelope, and many more. Not sure what mic you need? RSPE's team can help. Just tell them the work you do so they can recommend a few mics. Plus, if you're in LA, you can book a demo so you can try them out before you buy. Shop online or contact their team to find the right mic for you. Uh, Jules, what's your find of the week? Uh, mine is mine's the Avid Matrix Studio, which uh, we had a look at 
in at Nam. I didn't pay a huge amount of attention to it just because it just wasn't the environment at all. But I had a closer look at it uh, this weekend, and I, I'm really impressed. Actually, um, it's uh, uh, it's done in collaboration with uh, with DAD, uh, but it's the first product I'm aware because the, the Matrix was basically a rebadged. AX32, and that's uh, something I know quite well. The thing about the AX32 is it's a really, really ambitious piece of hardware in terms of if you've got, doesn't matter how big your project is, it's got it covered. It's absolutely fine, which makes it slightly bewildering and kind of over the top for a normal size studio. Um, this is like a, a one U box that pretty much feels like a sort of a premium uh, interface. But there's a couple of important differences with it. So, like, like I use a Focusrite Red 4 Pre. Uh, Russ, you've got an Apogee Ensemble. Um, these kind of like sort of premium, uh, nice, very broadly similar feature sets, 1U um, uh, interfaces. This is much the same thing, but there's a couple of things that really impressed me about it. For a start, it's got it's got all of the, the whole matrix business, which is about the cross-point matrix, so you can dupe up. Outputs and send them to various places and patch things internally so they don't actually have to go through software. All of these kind of things that is is where the matrix got its name from. But something that really got my attention is just the fact that really it's an Avid Omni, but for Atmos, and it really makes sense. You can see how tightly they've kind of uh, targeted that. It's got sixty four channels of Dante uh, as standard, which actually the matrix doesn't have, which I was quite surprised about. It, that's an option. Um, and so you can you can uh, send out your your objects and beds and everything out to out to a, another machine for uh, for its uh, atmosing and and also and this is the big thing uh, say on my Red Four Pre I can I can link together up to eight analog outputs so I, I've got effectively a surround sound monitor controller if I if I want to use it that way as soon as you go over eight you're a bit stuffed so you can go seven one but no higher if you want to go atmos it's not enough you need like at least 12 channels really to do whatever it's 7.1.4 you've got all that covered because you've got the built-in spq uh processing uh so that's an option on the matrix as well but you can do all of that kind of like uh, speaker correction stuff and you've got a really clever flexible monitor control that can handle atmos so Yes, um, Avid Matrix Studio. It's it seems like a lot of money, I have to say, but it does do an awful lot. So you know, it's I think it's a really significant product. It should do well for the kind of people who want those kind of things. And if it's Avid badged, of course, you know, institutions and big post houses and stuff will probably probably find that attractive. In fact, it's all in house. So, yeah. Sarah, what about you? Yes. Well, um, I talked earlier about my project management tool. And the tool that I use um, is Asana. And um, I've been using it for a little while now, and I, I really like it. Um, I use it pretty much every day to keep on top of my client projects and my business projects and personal projects as well. Um, it's uh, You can either use it as a simple to-do list um, or you can use it as a full-blown sort of project management tool. Um and I just use it to dump tasks into as and when they pop into my head, really, so that I can forget about them in the moment and then go back and sort them out at a later date. Um, but I, I really like it. It's free unless you're needing to run it within a large team. Um, but for a small business, it's perfect as it is. Um, it's got a really clean interface. You can use it like uh, Kanban style, which is like... Um, 
uh, Trello. Or you can just use it in a more traditional sort of list style. Um, and I use both. Uh, but I, it's it's really great. I, every project, every new job, I, I create a new project for. Um, and I've got uh, a, a set checklist that I run through to make sure I don't forget anything, to make sure that I ask clients for reviews at the end of the project to um, make sure I've been paid as well, um, just to make sure I've, I've had the deposit and I can carry on. Um, and I could also forward email, emails directly to it. Um, it integrates really well with Gmail. So if I get a client email, I can just um, zip it off to Asana into the project and it's all nice, neatly packaged inside the um, inside that project. Um, and as I said earlier, I can use it for my revisions. I can I can um, send a uh, PDF off to my clients with all the revision notes on um, straight out of Asana. Um, and you can even invite clients to Asana as well, which I haven't explored yet, but I do intend to give that a try. Yeah, I used to use it uh, with different clients and stuff. Yeah, it's mm. uh, yeah. It's not, so it's not hard to do. Yeah, I I uh, I really like it. It's free, um, and um, it just helps me organise my day and organise my projects and ideas that uh, that come up from time to time. So yeah, Asana. No, I didn't know. I'm checking it out as you speak, and it looks it looks pretty good actually. I think there's a free version, isn't there? No, that's, yeah, that's what, yeah. That's what it says. And there's an app as well, is there? So you can there is. Yeah, phone. you can do you can do it on your phone yeah, as well. My my issue is I, I tend to use I, my my stuff spread out a little bit, and uh, um, it's uh, reminders. I've, I I got quite into using just because mm. just because it was so easy to use with Siri. Mm, yeah, but I've I've been I've been scowled at a bit by my partner for kind of you know pulling out my phone and going hey Siri and and she can't bear it she <laughs> gives me the <laughs> filthiest looks when we're out and about so maybe I should just go back to typing but hey <laughs> Russ what about you mine is a book I've mentioned a couple of times uh, uh, and it's a book that I've I've just found tremendously helpful it's called uh, Black Box Thinking. And it's by a guy called Matthew Syed, who was a, or is possibly is still a sports journalist. But he talks about the whole book starts on the premise, uh, well, it starts on a story of a woman who went in for routine surgery and died in surgery. And then how her husband had to fight for several years to get them to uh, actually explain what went wrong rather than using the kind of euphemisms they use in in medical uh situations often which is unforeseen circumstances or just one of those things and stuff like that and he compared the whole book in in the early part is he compares how the medical uh, and the healthcare industry deal with failure and mistakes versus how the airline industry deal with it because the medical if 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 the airline industry uh uh had the same approach to failure and learning from it as the and the same amount of failure as the healthcare industry, two jumbo jets would crash a day. That's the number of people, and that's the number of people involved. It's like half a million people in America die every year or are critically life changed because of a medical error or a mistake either in a hospital. And it, it's 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 all about how you look at situations and you then allow the failure to inform what will make it a success in the future. 
So that faith, I think I wrote about it not this week, but the week before about criticism, didn't I? That often we shy away from criticism, especially as creatives. And yet it's in the criticism that we'll often find the success. Because if we learn from that criticism, we allow the criticism to inform our future, then we have a better chance of succeeding at things. And I I think I'm the I, I think my success is the sum total of my failures. That's the best way I can I can say. And this book is all about that. And it's really, really excellent. Uh, and an industry like ours needs it as much as anything else. Uh, the, the content creation industry, because uh, we often keep making the same mistakes again and again. And so uh, well worth checking out. There's another book similar uh, to that, um, the medical um, service versus the aviation industry, uh, the Checklist Manifesto. It's probably similar, isn't it? it where, yeah, and it, it's been the book's been around quite a while, but it's all about use, how those industries use checklists to avoid failure, system failure, um, and, um, you know, death eventually. Um, but, so it's a similar idea. Yeah, what he talks about, though, is he says that basically the higher up the food chain you get, the more successful you get, in, especially let's say you're a surgeon. And he, t- he tells story after story about where surgeons have been in. Another one was that the surgeon was in operating and this patients started going into shock and they couldn't work out. And the surgeon said, uh, tried lots of different things. And one of the nurses in the room said, I think it's because you're using, she's allergic to the gloves you're using. And he said, no, it's, it can't possibly be that. So he kept ignoring this nurse, ignoring this nurse. And saying, and so the registrar who was in the room with him at the time said, why don't we just take her advice and change the gloves and see if that helps? And he wouldn't. And in the end, he said he, that this guy had to threaten to ring the head of the hospital during surgery to make, to force this guy to change the gloves. And it was the gloves. Mm. It's because they say the further up the food chain you get, whether you're a top lawyer or a, t- a top surgeon or a top mixer or a top recording engineer, the harder it is for you to admit your mistakes because your whole personality is tied up with your success. That's really interesting, isn't it, mm. to think about that? Is that yeah. humility becomes less apparent the further up the chain you go. So uh, very, very interesting. Good book. Well worth a read. It's a big book, but uh, I think it's, I find it really helpful for my business, really helpful for my creativity as well. Uh, because we, as I say, we shy away from failure, and yet failure is often where where the success is. Mm. Uh, actually, we haven't mentioned on the show, and it was mentioned on the blog this week, and I just really want to say welcome to Julian in his new role as the editor of the yes. site. Yes. Uh, Mike is taking a, a step back to do a special project, which is basically get more team members and train them better. And so watch this space. He said he's, he's already got about three or four people who've uh, applied to to be part of the team, which is always exciting. And just so he's doing that. And uh, Julian's now uh, the man of the mo- man of the moment mm-hmm. in the chair. <laughs> yeah. So keep keep tuned for a slow motion car crash coming to you. <laughs> slow motion car crash. <laughs> that bad is it Jules it's fine it's fine um so yeah. no absolutely and it's uh, and uh, there's there's loads of exciting stuff going on to be honest um I've been talking to Mike about kind of some of these new people coming on board and uh, if they all work out um it looks really exciting but there's still room for more so if anyone's listening who who's interested in getting involved you know uh, hit us up and you know yeah there's a form on the site now where you can apply give us your creds and stuff and stuff you've done away you go Sarah was one of those people a few months ago Yes. Probably was... a listener and a reader and now now yeah. a, a vital part of the team. Yeah. Brilliant it is too. Good. And on that 
that praiseworthy moment. It's good night from me. It's good night from me. And it's good night from me. Good night.